Hello, welcome to Studio Stories on Amherst Island Radio. I'm your host, Lynn Waiminga, and on this program I take you on a Canadian art tour, starting here on Amherst Island and going beyond. Every episode we visit a different studio and talk to artists and artisans about their work, their beginnings, and more. We'll update cjai.ca slash studio stories with images of or links to our guests' work and sites, so be sure to take a look. Good morning and welcome to Studio Stories on CJI Amherst Island Radio. I'm your host, Lynn Waiminga, and I'm here on the phone today with Joanne Jones of Mind Recreations. Hey, Joanne. Hi, Lynn. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. Excellent. So I'm sure that none of our listeners know what you do because I usually do locals, but uh, Joanne and I have a project together, so we'll, which we'll get into later. What do you do? Tell us about your work, Joanne. I'm a textile artist, so I take the clothes that North Americans discard and we clean them and recycle them into handbags. So what, what kinds of clothes? We use leather, wool and cotton sweaters canvas and we use men's suits silk ties but very especially we use denim so recycled jeans right excellent because it's always certain parts of the jeans that wear off and then the rest of them are good that's right and also our name mind is denim spelled backwards so we always include denim on every piece really i never ever in the years that i've known you figured that one out yeah, it's an ode to my parents. Respect to them. They wore the Canadian tuxedo for the very early years of my life through the 1970s. Right. And I mean, like, permed, bro, denim shirt, denim vest, and jeans. They rocked it. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, so how, how do you get started in recycling textiles into beautiful bags? Well, I've been sewing my whole life. My mom introduced me to the sewing machine as a very young girl. And uh, that day she left me to learn how to thread the sewing machine and to learn how to sew on paper. And I think she went out that day. So, of course, as soon as she left, I chucked the piece of paper behind me, threaded the machine, and started designing things. So (laughs) the natural bent was in me. And then it has taken lots and lots of hard work to be able to uh, become skilled at something that I had a talent for. So that's how I started sewing. And then the inspiration for recycling has a number of different prongs to it. But my grandparents, back in the 1920s when they were engaged, they took the family coats and recycled them into a carpet. That's what they did together when they were engaged, how they spent their evenings making this carpet. And it sits on my floor right where I am in my home right now. And it's in mint condition still, and it's used every day. So that inspired me. And then as I started to see clothing stores of recycled clothes starting to show up as a result of the fast fashion movement. So there is way too much inventory for people in need to consume. Mm-hmm. And I knew that we had started exporting our recycled clothes to continental Africa, Eastern Asia, and it was decimating their textile industry. So I thought, what can I do f- to be responsible for our waste here? And then I started to think, what fits everyone? Well, handbags fit everyone because I can't stand clothes that don't fit properly. So I started making bags out of those clothes and then... A year or so later, the inspiration came. That is fantastic. 
I'm totally going to ask you to take a picture of that rug and send it to me because that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's sitting right here at my feet. That's <laughs> so great. Yeah, I will. What a brilliant idea. I'll send idea. that to you. So you've been sewing all your life. And so how long have you been doing, have you had mind recreations? Have you been doing the, the bags? I started when I turned 30 to work with recycled materials and I mean, the first bag I ever made was funny. My sister's so wonderful. She wore it anyway. But uh, that's, I just started playing around with recycled sweaters, recycled jeans. And then within a couple of years, the idea of turning denim around came to me for a name. My lawyer, who's very picky, loved the name. So I knew I was onto something. <laughs> my first sale of a handbag was December 2005 to Julia Gamble. That's fantastic. My inspiration has a couple of things that push me along. The number one reason and inspiration is we use the money from the bags to educate women. And, um, you know, the days when you, you, I don't know, maybe you feel a little tired or the creative spirit isn't flaming that day or whatever. Yeah. And you just feel like staying in bed or reading a book or something or maybe doing something else that's creative. Just knowing that they're counting on me, that inspires me to keep going. And also just other artists. Like I look up to um, Alex Janvier, who's an um, Indigenous artist, and he's a painter. And still well into his old age, he is contributing and creating. And this is the life that I want to have. So that requires that I work at it every day. Yeah, I think of the moms of the kids that we put through school and right. how hard they work just to feed their families. And just because of where I was born and what I look like, I think I need to work just as hard as them. Right. And tell us a little bit about your scholarship program. We make the bags and sell them, mostly to Canadians, but people around the world as well. And all of the proceeds after the raw materials, and if we're in a show, the booth and things like that, all the money goes to putting Indigenous students through post-secondary school, primarily women. So my friend Trish and I volunteer together to make the bag. And I was counting, there's, I think, upwards of 16 women we've either put through school, uh, provided with a business grant, and then we also have a young man who's in seventh grade, and he's been with us since he was in kindergarten. That's amazing. And by with us, I mean we're putting him through school. I don't mean he's living here in Canada with me. Right. <laughs> Right, and your Whole students household. and your students are where all over, or, or just in Canada? Or we have our first Anishinaabe student attending the University of Winnipeg, and she's in third year. The other students range from Tanzania, Kenya, Lesotho, and South Africa. And so, if people go to your website, can they find out a little bit more about that? And the... yes, they can meet our alumni and then our current. Students. I'm pretty sure we have the website up to date, but you can get the idea and meet our first student for sure. Her name's Kiole. Yep. Cool. That's mindrecreations.com? Yes. M-I-N-E-D, denim backwards, recreations.com. Cool. Okay. Can you, because it's called Studio Stories, and usually I'm in the studio, but we're on the phone today, tell me a little bit about your studio. Um, my, I work in the professional studio in the basement of my home. So we have a presentation room for clients to come and shop along with a studio in the basement that clients tour all the time. 
I have, um, as you enter the studio, you can see my initial single line sketches of handbags that I did way back at the beginning and photos of the bags from way back at the beginning. So it's, I like having those there because people can then see how I've grown as an artist. Right. And if they turn right, they can enter the display room where all our finished products are and our administrative space. And if they turn left and go down the stairs, the first thing they'll see is our pressing station and a piece of art from a Canadian artist. Nice. And uh, we have three sewing machines. Two of them run on an air compressor. And so that means they only use very minimal electricity. And the air compressor usually fills up twice in a busy sewing day. And then we have a cutting room. Where, and then we interface in that room as well. And everything comes out of that room on a cart. And I move that around as I sew. And at the far end of our room, there's the leather desk where I prepare the straps and things like that for the bag. And then also we have all of the recycled clothing that's been washed, coordinated like a painter's palette right. in colors. So it gives you, when you look at it, it seems like a palette to choose from. That is cool. So I can't remember how we were introduced online. I'm sure it was online. But last year I brought you my old Queen's University jacket because last year was my 25th anniversary or 25th reunion at Queen's and I forgot to wear my jacket. And I thought, if I am not even going to wear my jacket to my 25th, then I'm never going to wear it. So I might as well bring it to Joanne and make something useful out of it. So now I have this gorgeous, and I use it all the time, Joanne, duffel, like weekend duffel bag. But can you tell me about all of the steps of that kind of a process where you take someone's old leather jacket and then make it into this amazing thing? Right. So the jacket arrives to us and we put it in a um, recycle bin with your name on it so it doesn't get confused. with another family's clothing and then we take a photograph of your clothing as is when you send it to us and then we deconstruct the jacket and by we I mean me I'm taking out all the stitches taking apart the neckline taking off all the letters from your university jacket and then the jacket I hand wash and then the letters I clean with a toothbrush and wool light carpet cleaner and then everything dries and then I cut out the bag it gets interesting face and then slowly but surely I build each section of the bag on uh, different machines. So the lining would be built to the second last stage on our lightweight machine, a forward and back machine. And then the outside of the bag would be built on our walking foot, which is our middle weight. And I use 90 pound thread on that. And then the final top stitching and strap application and things like that would be done on our heavyweight machine that has 130 pound thread. And then I cut the board for the base of the bag which is made from melamine clad recycled wood and I drill it so that the cleat that go on the bottom of the bag can be screwed through the leather and the piece of wood the handles are applied and we insert the frames your style of bag has a free suspended frame inside Mm -hmm. and that helps it keep a square shape when it's open and then it folds down into sort of an old-fashioned doctor style weekend bag and then I so a dust cover for it because not everyone uses their weekend bag every day or all the time and so we just provide a bag for it to just stay dust free when you're storing it and then you pull it out and set that aside when you go away for the weekend it's fantastic 
And so much work because I, I know the shape that I gave it to you and it is, it is like a new coat now. <laughs> But as a bag. That's good. (laughs) Yeah, and then we labeled your bag, too, saying what we made it from. Yep. And the recycled pieces that are involved with it. And I hand write out those tags just so that people, when they look at their bag or they want to show it to someone else, they can see what it's made from. Yeah. Okay. Mine was put in a queue. I noticed it's an enormous queue. How many of these do you do a year of the the memory bags? Yeah, normally we've just done a hundred, but this year because I was not able to fly, we took some extra. So I think we're up to about 150 this year. Wow. So I work a lot. I'm not sitting around, you know, and realize, I have a show next week and I better make something. I work (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Yeah. This is this is a question that I usually ask to, you know, visual artists, but it, I think it applies to you as well. Do you, are there colors in your palette, your, you know, fabric palette that, that you use, that you're using now? Do you go through different colors, you know, as the years go on? Or is it, or is it the choice of the, I mean, for non-memory bags, for the bags that you're just making, do you change your palette with your fancy? I try to put colors together that are not necessarily colors I would wear, but so that every customer that comes in the booth would see themselves somewhere in the booth. Whether or not they buy the bag, even if they see something that they're just, you know, overjoyed by the color combination. And sometimes I would look at that bag and say, hmm, I'd never wear that. But I'm not the only person, right, wearing my bag. So I try to think of everyone. Yeah. And different color combinations. And also I find year to year it can depend on how life is because I remember one year my collection was very quiet and very subdued colors and I remember just kind of laughing because that was a really tough year and so I could see the way that I created I kind of went into myself Mm -hmm. to a quiet space and then other years when life is great my bags are more open more let's say extroverted in a sense right (laughs) yeah I try to stay away from fashion in terms of um, what's in right now, I try to design things which are classic. Because you want them to be used for forever, right? <laughs> yes. Like I had a customer come to our studio tour sale in September, and she was buying bag number seven and eight. And she's been shopping from us from the beginning, and she still wears her bags, and they still look great. Right. So they're stylish, but they're not necessarily in style. Right. And so what are the types of shows that you, that you do? I know you do the one-of-a-kind show in Toronto. What are the other shows? On a normal year, my season starts in the midsummer out in Comox, British Columbia at the Stilberg Festival. And then in September, I head home to my own studio. We have the Cambridge Studio Tour, which is always the last weekend of and we have upwards of 35 artists on that tour and then in November I fly out to Calgary for the art market craft sale and then back to Toronto for the one of a kind show and then a little bit of a break and I do the spring show in Ottawa in normally the first week of April those are long shows they are, and it's enough. Like, I can't sew anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and people often will say to me, well, why don't you hire a sewer? And I think, well, that would be like hiring a painter yeah. to paint someone's visual art. <laughs> Something changes when you hire, you know, <laughs> different. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, because I kind of look at every bag as a deconstructed painting. It would be odd if someone else was controlling the brush. And it would also cut into the uh, the scholarship funds. 
Yes, it would. Right? Definitely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. So. Yeah, because our a lot of people say, oh, you have students going to university on continental Africa. Oh, well, you must be able to do a lot of both. But some of the universities on continental Africa are some of the best institutions in the world. Right. And it's $8,000 a year for tuition. Yeah. So it's just like here. Yeah. If you're just joining us, this is Studio Stories on Amherst Island Radio. I'm your host, Lynn Waiminga, and this episode we're speaking on the phone with Joanne Jones of Mind Recreations in Cambridge, Ontario. Do you have any tools of choice that, well, obviously your three sewing machines, but is there any, anything that makes your life easier? Definitely. I have these little thread snips that hang off my third finger when I'm sewing, and so I'm not setting down, picking up, setting down, picking up. I right. can sew and clip which makes that really, um, it makes it smoother because I, I line sew. So I'll try to do the same step on a few bags at yeah. the same time. And then I have a tool that is an antique. Uh, someone from the Northwest Territories has actually commented on it, that it's a Yuli, and it's a half-circle knife. Oh, and an Ulu. It's called Ulu. Yeah, an Ulu, sorry. And uh, it, I use that for cutting the vegetable tan cowhide that we use for creating straps. Right. That is a woman's knife up in in uh, the Arctic, and they use okay, it. Okay, I didn't in, know that. <laughs> yeah, and they okay. use it for skinning uh, um, seals and whatever. Beautiful. They, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I just think that's awesome. So yes. it's an Inuit tool? Yeah, yeah. Oh, very nice. Okay. Called an Ulu. Okay. I yeah. didn't know. They wrote it out on my Facebook feed, and I was like, I don't know how you say that. That's great. That's neat. I spent uh, just a month up north when my brother lived up there, so I got to know a little bit about the culture. Yes, and that's where the person, she's originally from Cambridge, but she lives in Yellowknife, so I was like, hmm. sorry, she lives in the Yukon, not Northwest Territories. So neat. Well, that's neat. Also, but the the snips, anything to like shortcuts, right? So you making things more efficient. Yes, that's brilliant. Because you do like it's like a painter. They'll prepare their canvases and they'll do a few canvases at once, not just one mm -hmm. usually. So it's the same idea. Yeah. Just keeping because a lot of people relate more to visual art, but it's the same idea. Absolutely. So I know that you you work full time at this. Are there times in the day when you're more creative and like times in the day when you're like I'm going to do this drone work right now and I'll work on, you know, the interesting thing? Certainly, yes. When I'm when I get tired, then I do sort of the drone themes and things like that that need to be done but if there's anything creative I have to be sharp and alert and that's normally in the morning probably till about two o'clock but as long as they, but usually when I'm cutting out the whole bag is planned so I don't have to think then when I get to the machine right. I can just uh, flow so yeah. I guess when when does the planning happen when I'm cutting the bag right and I can see it finished which is a really helpful skill or gift. That is. Absolutely. <laughs> I have a hard time with that. Yeah, that's why I don't take that for granted. Okay, my favorite question or favorite set of questions. What's the most challenging part of your work? I think I find it challenging to meet the public because I'm shy. However, once I get going, I just kind of forget about that and I enjoy myself. It's more the building up to it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. And <laughs> there's three of us in the studio. We have an office administrator that we pay now. Mm -hmm. 
just the interruptions during creativity time, just keeping my attitude and my frustration level in check. So we just, we've just made systems, like we have a 2.15 meeting each day and it lasts about 15 minutes and all the questions are dealt with and then we both move on. So it's really helpful to have found some of those solutions and they work really well for both of us. Fortunately, the business side of the, what I have to do doesn't scare me because I came out of finance and I'm thankful that I had that career experience. That's fantastic. I will go back to that in a minute, but the second part of the question is what's the most fun part or the most enjoyable part of your work? Interacting with the public. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's so wonderful to, I always think of each bag that I've made, each piece that I've made that's waiting in my booth, that it already belongs to someone. Because there's only one, right? So when that piece that I made connects with the person that owns it, it's just so much fun to watch. <laughs> that is so funny because Joanne, I feel the same way about my hats. I'm like, you? Yeah. this hat hasn't found its head yet, but it'll come. Right. And people sometimes, oh, you haven't sold that one yet. I'm like, no, I haven't because the woman that owns it or the man that owns it hasn't come in yet. And they might come in three years later and they love that bag. Yeah. Like, okay, I made it three years ago, but it's yours. Yeah, that's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, so you never really stress about it. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to what were you doing before you started Mind Recreations? I was working in finance, and I was working with funeral home owners and helping them with everything from budgeting to estate planning, succession planning, these kinds of things. I didn't do the investing. I just did the planning. Interesting. I, I always find the the I was doing this and then I went into this completely different creative thing. It sounds like it's different, but the creativity that was necessary for planning is not different. I had to look at things and try to see them in different ways because often I would make three choice presentations for clients. Mm-hmm. So I had to be able to look at the same set of details and massage them into three different perspectives and that's what I do with clothes I look at the piece and try to see okay this is a coat but what would that look like if it were this or if I right so it's um and doing it differently each time so I don't find the I find it seems on the surface different but Mm -hmm. uh, sewing has so much math in it as well that um it's like engineering with textiles so yeah yeah. here's a funny question What do you wish you'd known when you were just getting started? That you'd find um, your supporters. Because when I first started, it was so discouraging. And to know that, that you would find people that, yeah, they follow you around and things like that, but they actually genuinely care about you as an artist. And they genuinely support what you're doing. And they invest in you. They invest in your work. I just, I could never have pictured the way that it is now when I first started. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had that hope then. Um, I think all I just told myself was that I I did what I felt led to do, and I'm not responsible for the outcome. That's what I would say to myself. Right. But just the joy, like of seeing clients year after year and catching up with them and I could never have imagined how fulfilling that is. Oh, you know what else I tell myself? Stick to one-of-a-kind work. No matter what other people are doing, 
the people in the audience will come around to appreciating the investment of yourself in that. Because you can walk around at different places and you can see people saying that they're artists and they have 700 of the same thing. And I mean the same thing. <laughs> Not even color variation, you know. And I thought, oh, I, I should be trying to, you know, mass produce or whatever. And I'm just so, I wish I had told that to myself because I would have been committed to that faster. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Thank you. I have, <laughs> I have no idea what I was going to say next. It's gone. Because that no. that's a really good point, right? That's a really, like, commit to it. And people will, people will come, right? People will yes. appreciate it. Yes. And just because someone insults you doesn't mean they're your client. Yeah. Or someone has advice for you doesn't mean they're your client. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've really become discerning as to who I listen to. Um, I think I've asked all my main questions. So Joanne and I have, we have a bit of a, a collaborative project going on. A bit of a. A bit of a, a big <laughs> collaborative project going on. <laughs> Which is so exciting for me, and my part is, like, minuscule compared to yours, but I can't wait to see the finished product. So, Joanne, I'm going to turn it over to you, because you were the one who who, uh, who started it. Well, when you and I met at the One of a Kind show, I've actually realized we were neighbors two years ago at the One of a Kind show. You were down beside Shalosh, and, and how I know this is because I bought a felted pig for me for my best friend. Really? And then this Christmas, I came and bought the same felted pig for you, from you for my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, but she loves them. <laughs> she them in different places. She's like, you bought this for me? <laughs> yes, I did. Well, so I did. <laughs> anyway, um, so we, you were getting involved with um, putting the maple leaf on the front of your hat in support of uh, Gord Downey's work through Downey Wenjack. Mm -hmm. And that is an organization that is committing funds, resources, time, etc., in the education of the next generation through public schools, etc. The way that Canadians think about First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people. And so I thought, wow, this is interesting to me because I also was working with Indigenous people and wanted to know a little bit more about you. And then we both discovered that we're Anishinaabe descent. So that was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought, wouldn't the beautiful simplicity of your maple leaf go beautifully with recycled materials? And then we could create uh, handbags together with your signature and our styling to sell for the benefit of Danny Wenjack. And so we decided together as a team to put together 16 pieces and all of the proceeds from the sale of those bags. And I'm going to donate my raw materials as well, and you are too. And so 100% of those dollars will go to the Downey Wenjack Fund. And those bags and pieces will only be sold at the Toronto one-of-a-kind Christmas show this year. So The exciting. very first finished piece is just about to come off, so I can hardly wait to send you a text. Yay! <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, it looks really good. 
I'm pleased with it. <laughs> yeah, so the the whole the whole Danny Wenjack and the Maple Leaf thing came up for me last year. All year, I was trying to think what could I do for my business to celebrate Canada 150, and I finally came around to that. I was like, you know, I have I already had the hat and the tea cozy and the coffee cozy and whatever with them, with the Maple Leaf on it. But I thought, what if I use that as a as a fundraiser? So. Um, yeah, and it was ingenious because it connects with mainstream Canada, right? Because that's our national symbol on our flag, the mm-hmm. Maple Leaf. And then also, it's not so Canadiana that First Nations and Métis and Inuit people would never wear it. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. subtle. I like your design of what you chose to do. Yeah, and it and it was it was uh, people loved it actually. It was people were really appreciative and receptive of it. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as artists, it's nice to collaborate rather than you taking my idea or me taking your idea and then doing something. It's nice to come together as artists and bring to the table what we both have and create something unique and beautiful. Yeah, and this this particular process of because we're not we don't see each other, it's like sent in the mail, I'll do my thing, you know, and yeah. then sending pictures, it's like, ah, it's so exciting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I can't wait to see your magic felting video this week. <laughs> the magic felting video. That's right. I think I did a time lapse. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but still. So it's fun. <laughs> It'll be exciting. I'm going to be hard-pressed not to buy one of those bags myself. (laughs) (laughs) I think me too, right? And then I was trying to think of if there was someone else I needed to, like, buy one and give it to because I was... Right. But anyway, yeah. That's okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because I think just uh, the spirit of what we're doing together, I want to have a memory of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that too, so Mm -hmm. lots of fun. I will... Before we, uh, before this goes online, I'll get a couple of photos from you of your work. Um, okay. And, you know, whatever, say four photos of different bags or memory, like a memory bag or whatever. And, and maybe if, if we get the finished product of the first one. Of, sure. Of our first collaborative, that'd be neat. And we'll put that on the, the website. Um, but that sounds good. We will um, we will post your information on the Studio Stories webpage and links to your all of your social media, which is oh, at, thank you, yeah, at Mind Recreations yeah. and and thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time, and I can't wait to see the work Yay! and to see you in November. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you too. I yeah, will. miigwech, Lynn. Miigwech. Thanks for joining us for Studio Stories' 14th episode with Joanne Jones of Mind Recreations. And apologies for the sound quality of the phone call. If you want to see some Mind Recreations in person, you can see it all at booth U54 at the One of a Kind Show in Toronto, November 22nd to December 2nd, 2018. Be sure to have a look at some of Joanne's recycled textile artistry, and I'll try to get a photo of her grandparents' rug, and check out links and contact info at cjai.ca slash studio stories.